last episode of the season we have Andrew one of my favorite people in this episode we discuss Linda Local Disney webinars National Hockey League young people zoom worldly climate and best making conferences truly global virtual reality augmented reality work from home drastic measures we need to take how one should ideally network and business fables amongst so much else I mostly am just enamored by Andrew Docks since I truly admire this guy. I join you in listening and chilling in this one. To be honest, this episode was so wide-ranging. We decided this would be the perfect finale. So, without further ado, it's time to listen and chill. Hey Andrew, thank you so much for showing up, you know, for the podcast. Uh, I love, you know, our interactions that happen primarily over LinkedIn local, but even the work that you're currently doing is just, you know, breathtaking and it's amazing because it's always a learning experience for someone for a budding entrepreneur, for someone who just needs a lesson in time management from you. So, let's start off with that, you know, what you're currently up to and then we could go and talk a little bit about the past. Yeah, sure. So, I'm 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 in a a big transition mode at the moment myself um where a, a number of opportunities have have come up <laughs> I, i i wouldn't actually say out of nowhere a lot of relationships that i've been building for for years have come yeah. to fruition at the same time okay. i think that's got to do with the crisis um i think there's a lot of opportunity at the moment mm-hmm. if you know where to, if you know where to look for it and if you've been proactively working on building relationships for a long time mm. i think it's, you know the 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 story of bus two buses coming along at once is very very true Hmm. um and so yeah i by relationships that i've been in building and investing and 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 you know building meaningful and genuine friendships with people for the past uh you know 5 years or so has hmm. now really come to fruition and i'm yeah lots and lots of stuff going on i'm i'm accepted a new role uh that i'm really excited about as director of digital and community for a, a sustainability company who right sure um measure certify companies for carbon reduction and for social value and social impact and then um i'm doing webinars with uh disney's head of uh, former head of innovation and creativity mm-hmm. um uh we're doing you know we're referring to them as webinizers because webinar sounds boring um, <laughs> okay we're doing webinizers uh, i like that though yeah. uh, webinizers for thousands of people I'm, you know i've got one next week with facebook singapore i've done one uh the week just gone with the nhl the national hockey league of with all of their chief marketing officers which uh, is <laughs> for a canadian and as a vancouverite yeah i we i we did a we did an innovation webinar for all of the chief marketing officers of all of the teams of the really, NHL. really. Wow. i'm i'm okay. pinching myself i'm actually <laughs> pinching myself wow okay uh, so Uh, just a question off that did you go to any games uh, you know for the canucks over here i did i went to a game with the canucks whilst i was out there that was my i went in the in the new year in what, 2018 i think it was it was my uh, my christmas present from my family was was canucks tips uh, wow. tickets okay. yeah so it's continuing on great yeah uh, great time yes yeah, so I'm, i've accepted that new role but so i'm in a time of great transition I right. I in lots of different places I do events with the institute of directors as an ambassador for them. I okay. I um I have a variety of other opportunities that present themselves where because I'm doing lots of high profile uh webinars of you know people are approaching and wanting support on that mm-hmm. and I don't have the capacity myself 
but because I've been doing LinkedIn local youth and uh, various other projects and, and workshops and things for universities in London, I do know a lot of very talented, very driven, very ambitious young people who have time, who, are, who have greater flexibility than I do. And so uh, I've uh, recruited uh, a few of them already and I'm training them up on everything I know how to do with, with what I'm doing with Duncan, with doing the webinizers. And um, I'm gonna train them up and essentially give them the opportunity to, you know, if I get, you know, companies and organizations coming to me wanting support on either training or on actually managing their, their virtual events for them, I won't do it, but I have a team of very talented people who can and I, I'm just I'm so excited about the opportunity that here potentially to get these students some very well paid, flexible work that they can do around their studies wow. that leverages all of the skills that they themselves want to develop. You know, you know, it uses the fact that they're familiar with technology. It uses the fact that they're very ambitious and entrepreneurial because they can build this brand themselves. I'm giving it to them. Right, you build it. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But once I've got them trained up and confident, Mm -hmm. someone comes to me and says can you come and manage our webinars for us i say no but i've got a team who can right. uh, and they run with it you know they run with it they do it it's their thing and and um the opportunity to, to to give that as a you know something something for them to be able to work on and build and if it you know it could, I, I i've got this gut instinct that sort of says that could get really big <laughs> really quickly because so many companies need the support right now uh, and young yeah. people young people are in a unique position as they were with social media you know the reason there are these huge social media um you know marketing firms and stuff that have sprung up out of nowhere is because okay. young people are legitimately far have far more expertise in social media and what works on social media than older yeah. people do and that's for a very good reason because yeah. People in uh, in you know older generations were working when social media became a thing. They didn't have the time to explore it, to play to with explore. it, to yeah. really you know dive into it. Mm -hmm. And so by the time they realised it was a big thing, and they realised, oh hey, there's going to be an industry built around this, yeah. um, it was already too late. The young people already already had a head start. They'd already spent hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of hours on social media. And so they mm. legitimately know what they're talking about more than mm. the people who are you know, older and wiser in many other ways. Um, it's not anything, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not anything you know, good or bad about that. It just, it is what it is. And so that's why I think with virtual events and things coming to the fore now, right. we're gonna see a huge rise of young people moving into that space and doing it a heck of a lot better than all of these these live events companies are trying yeah. to recreate live events online, and that's their first mistake. Their first I'm mistake sure. is they're trying to they're trying to take everything that they could do in person, and they're trying to figure out how to do it online. And when to you replicate when, it, yeah. when you come at it with that, we need to recreate this mentality. Mm -hmm. You're always going to make something worse. Every time, yeah. every time you're not going to recreate what it was like in the room. You can't. However, if you go back to scratch and you go back to basics, and this is what Duncan and I did, okay. and you literally go through every single piece of functionality that you have within the virtual realm, and you, yeah. ask, you ask the question with each piece of functionality, what could we do with that? What could we do that would be really interesting? Really, How do we engage people with that? How do we get people participating and, and make it very uh, fun? for people 
And mm. all of a sudden, when you do that and you go back to the to the base level of functionality, rather than saying, how do I do this thing that I can do in person and do it online? You're asking, just what can I do with these tools? With this toolkit that I do have, you suddenly start building something that in many ways is better than an in-person experience. Mm. The things that Duncan and I are doing, which we couldn't do in person, it would be too chaotic. You know, we can scale massively higher. You know, if we want to do one-on-one -on -one activities with people, in Zoom, with a basic Zoom Pro license, I can have 100 people and I can put them in one-on-one -on -one activities where they just get put into a room, one-on-one, -on -one, randomly shuffled, boom, they're in one-on-one. -on -one. If you try yeah. doing that in a live event and see how long exactly. it takes you to get everyone's attention back, you will waste 15, 20 minutes of your workshop in something that was supposed to be a one-minute task because first off, they start getting to know each other and then you start trying to get their attention and people are still talking and, and, and trying to get the attention of 100 people can be quite hard to do if you're in a room. But in a virtual environment, we have full control. If they haven't finished doing what they were supposed to be doing by the time the clock runs down, you're done. You're muted and you're coming back into the room with us and we're moving yeah. on to the next thing. So, and people get into that mentality. We can use virtual whiteboards. We can use, uh, you know, we can use documents. We can have forms of collaboration internationally that are not possible in person the other thing we're trialing at the moment is um uh we've we're using an uh, application called calendly uh, not calendly sorry right. i'm using calendly uh wordly all of the words wordly. Okay. Yeah. wordly right <laughs> wordly is going to enable us to live translate our live webinizers into 16 languages really live Okay. The captions are going live. So if we're doing it with a Spanish a group of Spanish people and they English isn't their first language, they're not confident with English, Duncan can just talk and talk and talk and the captions will be running for translating him into Spanish live. And then and how accurate accurate are these? It's pretty good. We uh Duncan's wife is a is a Spanish na native speaker. And so we did the uh -huh. test. She said, That's really good. That's really good. And, you know, you might get some hits and some misses, but Right. It's it's live editing itself as it's going, and it's good okay. enough for for us to be able to offer it as a as a realistic thing. Where straight away, our audience, our potential mm -hmm. audience, just went from the English speaking world to ninety yeah. percent of the world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, ninety yeah, percent yeah. of the world can now understand Duncan, um, and it's so powerful that in in workshop formats, we may yeah. be able to have people who speak right. different languages, they can choose which language they want what's being said translated into. So let's say you speak okay. Spanish uh, and I speak Italian, right? Uh -huh. I'm the workshop host. I say to right. you in Italian, this is what I want you to do. I want you to say this. You're reading this in Spanish. Right. And you're understanding um, me, right? And then, and right. then we're going to do an activity together where we're coming up with ideas collaboratively and you say an idea, then I say an idea, and you say an idea, and I say an idea. You say it in Spanish, I read it in Italian. I answer in Italian, you read it in Spanish. We are now able to having a conversation, even yeah. if we don't speak each other's languages at all. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You can't no, no, do that. that. Is... You can't do yeah. that in a room with people currently, or at least it's very you... hard to do in a room with people currently. Yeah, you need two translators who both speak the language. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, I had no idea about this. This is what I mean. Okay. You know, people, people are thinking too small. People are thinking right. too small where they're trying to replicate a live event when what they should be saying is how can I do something better than a live event? 
what okay. are all of the different things that I could do? You know, we're, and we're not, I, I truly believe that what Duncan and I are doing at the moment is top of the market. It, we are doing it better than anyone else. All of the feedback, mm. we've, we've been doing it for thousands of people over the last uh, couple of weeks. And at every okay. single one, the feedback we're getting is, that's the best webinar I've ever seen. I've never seen, how did you do that? Uh, people are watching recordings and going, it still feels like it's live. I, I Usually I don't watch webinar recordings because I get, right. I, I tune out and I just stop watching, but I'm three quarters of the way through and I can't stop watching. So I already think that we're at the top, but right. people are going to catch up with us soon because what we're doing is right. science. We're just using every tool in the tool belt to do it. And so we're actively looking into how we use virtual reality, augmented reality, how we use some of these virtual platforms where people are able to have avatars that are able to move around a world together. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we want we want to stay at the top <laughs> we want to stay it makes sense you know yeah it it makes it makes perfect sense plus you have you know the former head of uh, you know from disney who's the head of innovation and, and they've been in existence for 90 odd years so definitely <laughs> I, I see the i see the approach you know as a long-term one uh just to follow up to that you see this potentially happening even when you know the world opens up you see this still because webinars are always going to be important for companies that are global, for, you know, for a lot of other reasons. Uh, do you see that changing or do you see that, you know, potentially just sustaining the way it is at this point? Uh, I, I think in, innovation is a, is a continual practice. You don't, you know, we don't, we don't do what we've done now and then go, right, we've done a really good thing because people. Like <laughs> and so, right. the, you know, the, I, I guess the, the answer is, um, is it going back to the way it was? No, absolutely not. No. Is it, right, is it right. going to stay the same as it currently is? No, absolutely not. Is, you know, mm -hmm. Are we going to do live events? Yes. Uh, that is it in-person events? Yes. Are we going to do online events? Yes. Are we going to do events which are a combination of both? Yes. You know, we, I, I foresee, you know, Duncan firmly believes he's not going to be on. He spoke on 132 stages last year. And wow. that was basically fly, speak, fly, speak, fly, speak, fly, speak, fly, speak. Just constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even want to know what his carbon footprint was. Right. Now, so, but he could only speak on one stage a day, really. Exactly. Now, yeah. without flying, he could speak on yeah. four or five stages a day. Depends on his stamina. Depends on how much energy mm -hmm. he has to, to present to to a camera. But we, you know, so that he sort of he doesn't think he's getting on a stage for the next two years. He doesn't think he's going to be on stage before twenty twenty two. Why does he think that? Because, you know, look at you know, take Disney. Right. So Disney just took out a six billion dollar loan to survive because they lost 75 plus percent of their revenue like that. In the parks. In yeah, parks, yeah. Exactly. the most profitable thing, gone. The cinemas right. and all of the like, theatre revenue, gone. Um, yeah, Disney Plus mm -hmm. is great for them, but it's really early on its, in its thing and it's not nearly enough to sustain the company. So they've just taken out a loan. So the question is, is Disney, is a company like Disney going to send its employees on planes to go and sit in a room with 5,000 people at a conference or an exhibition mm. in the next two years? Right. No, absolutely exactly. not. <laughs> in a million yeah. years are they doing that? So, right. you know, he doesn't, you know, so the big, big events aren't going to happen or they're not going to happen in the way that they used to. You might have some people in a room together sitting apart, right. but, you know, uh, you, but you, the, the beauty of this is that, you know, where we've now, we've crossed this barrier, we've, we've gone past, we've opened Pandora's box with the remote working thing. Every company in the world right. now knows what it can and cannot do with remote working. 
Exactly. And that has changed right. a lot of opinions. They went through a painful couple of weeks and then most companies went, huh, this isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Now, when a lot of companies now going back into the office space are doing, you know, well, you know, even where government re- regulation is relaxing, directors right. and boards are still responsible for the health and safety of their staff. And they're also right. still responsible for the public image of their company. So mm-hmm. even if government regulation says, everyone go back into your offices, what the company's going to do? Uh, no, thanks. We're going we're gonna right. to be able to take a very cautious approach. We're going to, because for two reasons. Number one, if something goes wrong, and with the health and safety, directors on the board are directly liable. liable so if they yeah. make a really bad decision, they're in, they are personally in trouble. Number two, even if nothing goes wrong, even if it's fine, mm. if they're the company who sticks their head above the parapet first and says, I'm going to send all of my staff into a busy office, right. the PR blowback from that could be quite substantial because people go, that's hugely unsafe. You can't do that. Regardless of what the actual risks are, people will react to it. And so, you know, their companies are going to be operating like the, from, from within my network, what I'm hearing is generally anywhere between 15 to 30% capacity. That, that's what where people are reopening their offices. They're reopening them at anywhere between like 10, 15 to 30% capacity, max capacity sure. in the building compared to what they used to have. Right. Now, Generally speaking, you know, if you have a big employer with a big office building and you calculate what the building costs them per head, it was probably like, let's say it was a grand, a grand a year per, mm. per employee that you hire to house them in this office building five days a week, two right. weeks a year or 46 weeks a year, whatever it is. After the okay. news. Right, right. Thousand pounds per head. Right. Now, now you're operating at 20% capacity. Your right. cost per head just went up by five times. True. You're now paying five grand per per person for that right. space because you're not using the whole space. Right. Um, and so the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are they going to keep those office buildings? No. No. All yeah. of a sudden, the co-working model becomes very, very attractive to these people. We like the idea of our employees be able to get into a space together, but we want flexible space. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we only want an office one day a week, right. two days a week. The rest of the time, everyone works remotely. We'll just use a meeting right. space. We're just going to book up big meeting spaces. A commercial property is going to, like, a commercial office property is going to take a nosedive. Uh, I think there'll right. be a flurry of um, developers capitalizing on that and uh, redeveloping them as um, residential. Um, if any co-working spaces, the difficulty, I, you know, this would be a prime opportunity for WeWork or one of the, you know, the office group or one of the big office providers to buy up a whole bunch of commercial properties at discounted mm-hmm. rates. But the difficulty is that they are, they're struggling with finances as well. And so exactly. where are they going to get the capital funding from in order to make those investments? So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really tricky picture. Um things aren't going back to normal so but i I absolutely foresee that you know duncan and i will be able to do workshops where we can have some people in the room and they can you know when we do an activity where we need four of them to get into a group and they're going to do a particular task together at the same time we're broadcasting to you know we've got you know let's say we've got 50 people in a room we've got a thousand people on online and thousand people online when we do that activity we put them all into breakout rooms with four people 
Uh -huh. And so they're able to collaborate in their way and in, in doing the things that they're that way. The people in the room are able to do it their way. And we're able to get the best of both worlds where we have the energy of a room to fuel the, uh, you know, fuel Duncan and to fuel what he's doing and to have that really sharp yeah. bounce back, back and forth. But we're sure. able to open up that experience to that yeah. many more people at much more uh, affordable rates because mm -hmm. we're doing it at scale. And um, so, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit, really. Um, sure. uh, it's it's just a question of uh, it's, it's, gonna, it's going to happen. That's <laughs> it. It's going to happen. Exactly. No, that, that's that's exactly what I wanted to go. So it's not going back to normal. And, you know, we see this definitely affect the real estate market, you know, the commercial space. And even otherwise, like there were a lot of places where the, you know, home sort of, you know, loans, etc. Everything had driven up, you know, to a point. Vancouver, for that example, you see that sort of spread out. So I think for... Uh, well, you know, the common man, this is going to be a great opportunity to have worldwide collaborations and also possibly live, you know, affordably. Uh, and for the companies, they're going to realize that, okay, these costs are going to come down. So it accordingly for them then pivots to, okay, let's expense this out as home expenses, etc. But it definitely, as you mentioned, opens up a realm of possibilities that we know are, is going to happen. So, so again, thank you for highlighting that. Oh, this massive, uh, massive disruption. This, there has never been a greater opportunity for smaller players to massively disrupt what's happening like we, we i you know we had this conversation with the nhl um where right. we sort of said look you know in in america currently nhl is the fourth most popular sport it's behind the exactly. nfl baseball and uh nba right i thought, I thought soccer was fourth. well I've, I've, maybe they're NBA? fifth i don't know but fourth or fifth, right? <laughs> right. depending on which state you're in fourth or fifth right so Right, right. Right now, all of the sports fans out there are hungry for a for a decent sports experience, and they're not getting it. They're not getting it from yeah. anywhere. Now, right. all of the different sports are are trying to come up with how they're going to do closed closed pitch games that they're going to broadcast, and the game will happen, but there won't be a crowd, and all of those. But mm -hmm. the people who are at the top, you know, the NFL is playing defense. They're trying to keep their top spot, and that means they're not thinking. Creatively, they're not going to take risks. They're not going to do things too radical. What they're going to do is they're going to, you know, have a, a game happen and they're just going to film it and broadcast it in the way that they used to and hope that everyone tunes in and watches it from home. Mm -hmm. And all of the fans who mm -hmm. would usually have been there every week, every week in person, will be sitting at home going, this is rubbish. I miss the games. Now, what if the NHL or the NBA or whoever goes... No, let's take a risk. Let's try and do something completely different. Right, okay, we're going to do the game. And, you know, all of the different people, are, you know, everyone's thinking about virtual reality and stuff and the fact, oh, well, we could make it so that people would feel like they're virtual reality and they could be behind the goal or they could be from the side. Exactly. Okay, yeah. cool, good. You're still not thinking big enough. <laughs> what if you stick a, 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 a camera on every single player's helmet so that you can choose to view the game from the perspective of Wayne Gretzky. You can see him hitting that slap shot. You, and you're sitting there on your sofa at home with your jersey on. And hey, now you've got branded um, helmets, which instead of just having some off-the-shelf VR headsets, you get branded up hockey helmets where the visor is the VR experience. You're wearing your hockey helmet on the sofa. You're in your jersey. 
you're there, you're feeling like you're doing it. And hey, what? And then you put on the gamer um, pads, a gamer armor type thing right. that people get and mm. gamers have been using for you know 10 plus years, which right. when Wayne Gretzky takes a hit, you feel it. You right. feel that. And you can choose Definitely. which player you want. You want yeah. to be your favorite player, you be your favorite. You feel what it's like through his eyes, through her eyes, through whoever's eyes, what it's like to be on that ring. And then you can flip from behind the goal. And then you can flip to be from above yeah. and birds, you know, birds birds eye view it. What how how much does that change? All of a sudden, it's better to be at home. <laughs> All of a sudden, right. it's like the people, the people who went and, and they were sitting at the back up at the top of the stadium, they're mugs. They can't do this. They can't experience this, what I'm experiencing. Okay. Oh, and then you yeah, put yeah. cameras in the dressing room so that you can right. you see the, the pre-match pep talk that they're getting the from the managers. Where it's like, come right. on, guys, we've got to get out there. We've got to do this. You're, you're in there and you're already Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky getting his you know pep talk <laughs> from the coach. And seeing right. the whole experience right end to end, and all of a sudden you go, they were to do that, and they were to do it quickly before any other, before right. any of the other people caught on to what they were doing. How much of the right. market would they clean up at a moment when sports fans around the world are hungry for a weeping. real experience, yeah. for something different? And then all of a sudden, when they go back to, mm. you know, normal, and they start being able to have people in the, uh, in actually in the rink. Right. Do both. Now you've got two revenue streams. Now you've got, now you've got exactly. two ways in which you're broadcasting. Two things that you're doing. You can right. just completely change things up. Like they should, you know, they could do stuff with the gaming industry where players at home, you know, they're, 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 I, I have no idea how it works, but it's a really fun idea. But you know, if the hockey right. players are wearing their masks, but inside their masks they have a screen which gives them instructions, and the gamers at home are giving the ice hockey players' instructions about what to do. And they've got to do what they're told to, to go around. All of a sudden you've got wow. gamers okay. playing real players right. on an ice hockey rink. And oh, bang, now you've just got the gaming industry. Now the gaming industry is interested in watching the NFL uh, NFL games or the NHL games or the NBA games because they feel like they're a part of it. Um, it just, it right. just, why not? Why not? Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, gaming industry because uh, there was the show Ballers, which I had seen. And I think towards the last season, they focused more on the gaming aspect. And it showcased one, um, I think it was a collaboration between EA Sports and the yeah. NFL. And sort of seeing how, you know, uh, a gamer, for example, could be part of the field, you know, where, as you mentioned, you know, the visor, where this, you know, where you're actually throwing the ball, just have that element, which, as you mentioned, you know, it's definitely... A collaboration is again, you know, uh, very expected, and I'm, you know, I'm glad you're one of the early ones, you know, sort of looking it, into that. Definitely, it's something. coming. It's coming. This a, a tidal wave is coming, and like esports, I don't think right. people, I, I don't think even, I don't think even I grasp quite how how much it's going to change things because what the, the the thing about the digital environment is it 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 doesn't obey rules about boundaries. If you're yeah. if you're a sports yeah. team, you do sport. That's what you do. You do sports. But yeah. in the esports environment, I mean, you've just like Fortnite opened up their platform and they did a live concert. All of a sudden, right? Gaming esports <laughs> industry just started running live virtual concerts inside of a game, and all of a sudden, the yeah. music industry is just being taken on. Shit! Right. What? what where would they come from? <laughs> How'd they do that? What? How do we get into this? We can't get into it because you don't have the technology and the tools that the, the virtual industry have 
to to basically just go you know like you know like amazon do with all industries where they just go that looks cool yeah we'll have a bit of that you know, just the hungry hippos just the, you know, the gaming industry is just gonna go yeah we can do live concerts yeah cool uh yeah no we could have like forums and things like that social media yeah cool social media inside of the platform beautiful uh yeah we could have influencers and and we can you know yes we can do sports we'll have that uh yes we can do art and we can create visual art and all oh yeah we'll have that and, and create galleries inside of inside of digital environments i i encourage you to go and look up a hololens 2 live demo on youtube look up hololens 2 okay see what they're currently doing see what's currently possible and the way in which it right. blew my mind it absolutely blew my mind watching that live demonstration and the realization that the only thing between us and that technology being the only way you interact with technology, i.e. laptops will be gone. Right. This will be the thing. You'll be wearing a headset that has your computer in it and everything's going to be around you and you can see it, you can interact with it. You can go into meetings with people where people appear as realistic avatars and you can collaborate in a virtual room with one another where you're slapping post-its on it. And when you're finished at the end of the day, you take it off, boom, you're back in your normal space. And you, you, can, you can have post-it notes on the wall in one virtual room inside of this same space. Yeah. I mean, you just, right, yeah. okay, now I'm going to switch into a different room and you don't have to tidy up. You don't have to clean up after yourself. It's just, it's still there in the virtual environment. And the only thing between yeah. us and that is price. And at the moment, one of the HoloLens 2 headsets mm-hmm. is $3,500. Yeah. How many years before that's a thousand? One, two, exactly. <laughs> at yeah. most. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, all of the people you know, in older generations who have now gotten used to using laptops and using computers, suddenly they're behind the curve again. They can't do things that (laughs) the younger generation can do. And I include myself in this. I've got to learn and adapt to that because who are going to be the first people who have been playing with VR and stuff for ages? The kids with their phones on their smart, you know, they've been playing with devices already because they've got time. They've got time Mm -hmm. to play with these new tools and technologies. And so they're going to play with it. They're going to get really good at it. And then we're going to suddenly find ourselves not be, you know, we're going to be trying to, you know, have a collaborative meeting on Zoom and they're going to be like, what are you doing? Sit on. It costs costs the same as the laptop. And now we're in the room together and it's a virtual environment and it's better than if we were actually in the room together because we don't have to tidy up. Because if we, if, if we make a mistake, we just undo. (laughs) It's just, you know, exactly. I don't. The, okay. the the pace of change has continued to speed up, and people don't realize how fast it's moving. Like there, there's a photo of yeah. Times Square, New York, in 1900, and it is okay. mostly horse and carts and one vehicle, one right. car. All horses and carts, right. one car. There's, there's a photo yeah. in exactly the same spot in 1910. Mostly yeah. cars, one horse. One horse, yeah. Totally. Over a hundred yeah. years ago, it took ten years from the main mode of transport to, to go from being horses right. to vehicles. How fast is it going to move now? All right now, technology is moving so much faster. Right, it took ten years. What's it, what's yeah. the world going to be like in twenty thirty? Yeah. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. It's going to be very different from what right. any of us expect. That's as much as I know. You know, it's going to be completely right. different, but. The big question and, and the reason I'm so passionate about the sustainability piece is that, like I sort of said to you before, we are actively building a world that we don't want. 
and we are and right. the planet's not a risk we are the planet doesn't need saving planet's right. gonna be absolutely fine it's the human it's our it's, it's our species that needs saving and i firmly believe that if we don't take uh you know it's quite you know drastic measures in the next 10 years to risk you know go back to having a balance it's not this is the crazy thing about this is it's not a question of doing something new we need we need the the, the balance of search you know nature is inherently circular energy within nature right. is circular you can watch the lion king the lion king says, spells it out and mm -hmm. it's like you know literally mufasa says it in like a few sentences where it's like you know it's the circle of life when you know, we, we eat the gazelle right. but when we die our bodies feed the grass and the grass feeds the gazelle it's circular the energy is just circling mm -hmm. backwards around and around and around and around and what we've done as a species right. is we've gone now i don't like that circle i'm gonna make it linear i'm gonna make it as a beginning yeah. a middle and an end we 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 get the resources right. we make them into something we use it and then we dispose of it and We've broken mm -hmm. the natural cycle of how energy works, and we, you know, right. and so we're we're creating this this huge bundle of waste in in a way that is in, inherently unsustainable, cannot be maintained, and we need to find more and more ways. Cool. And there's so there's, the solutions are already out there. It's not a question of there being solutions or not. Solutions are there. We just need people mm. convince people to make the investment, and it's not even that much of an investment as a proportion of GDP like global gdp what we would need to invest in this in order to meet with the paris climate goals is something crazy like five mm. to ten percent of gdp, oh, of the world well, GDP. And when you look when you look at okay yeah. what what percentage of gdp is defense spending and you go what are we well, doing I, we're, yeah we're actively killing <laughs> ourselves and we're spending more on defending right. ourselves from each other individual nations right. than we are defending ourselves against the whole thing because we don't see the big picture. Right. We, we don't see, you know, scientists have been saying that, that, that a pandemic like this was inevitable for decades. And we didn't, we didn't listen. Cool. We didn't put things in place. We didn't take them seriously. And now, you know, it's, it's, there's been some great graphics and visuals on, you know, the, the pan, this pandemic is, is a little wave. It's a little wave that's coming onto shore. Find that, wave right. is probably a recession which is going to do more damage than than the than the pandemic itself did the the, the economic consequences of right. it is the, the next biggest wave but then there's a tidal wave of, of the consequences right. of climate change of biodiversity loss of, of all of these things there's this tidal wave coming and we're worried about this little wave that's coming up to the shore and we've we've demonstrated we can do radical change we can get through this. We, exactly. we can do it. Yeah. You know, no government can say that it's not. They do not have the power to make drives. You know, we we like halved carbon emissions around the globe, like yeah. that. Exactly. What and and if you talk, if you'd said that to someone, uh, you know, particularly someone right wing a year ago, you said, "What would happen if we shut down every? We put we locked everything down globally." We locked everyone indoors, stopped all manufacturing, stopped you know, all but essential stuff. If we stopped all the essential stuff, what would happen if we locked that down for three mm. months? And they'd have told you it'd be mm. anarchy, there'd be riots, there'd be civil war, and the whole world, the global economy would collapse because it's not possible to shut everything down for three months without, without the world ending. What happened? Right. 
No, it didn't. Mm. It didn't. We're fine. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, that's, I think, because everyone expects a purge-like situation where, you know, there is going to be this massive chaos, which I think they, they seem impending after a certain point. But yeah, definitely, that's that's the thought process that if you ask someone last they year... Said, they, they said, no, you, you couldn't shut down the global economy for more than two weeks or it would be civil war, riots, you know, it would be chaos. And, and that's that's you know yes it's mm. been hard yes it, yeah and and it's hugely affected some people more than others it's going to continue to affect some countries more than others it disproportionately affects mm. poorer people from you know from uh, sort of a poorer socioeconomic background and and there's there's huge consequences that we have to deal with within that but a lot of that is still you know a lot of that is still to me the answer is still sustainability because a lot of a big part of sustainability is um, is you know sustainable justice whereby we have to and this was built into the paris climate agreement it will be built into future agreements which is that the people who are doing the emitting the people who are doing the damage need to pay the majority of the cost you can't expect a third world country who haven't caused the problem to be something up the same amount as, as we are we need to enable them to get their economy built up reducing ourselves and that means we have to disproportionately reduce our own emissions in order to enable them to create more balance because at the moment mm-hmm. massively skewed and um, inequality is one of the key drivers of unsustainability massively one of the key drivers so we we need change in, in, in numerous spheres and the good news is I think it's going to happen I think there's going to be a lot of resistance to it okay. but yeah, a great example of this. So I, I did, just did a course on sustainability with um, Cambridge University on business sustainability management. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, but we, it was a remote course, all online. So we had 600 plus course mates around the world. And that's been magical. And there's a community of people who come together. We're going to be uh, in the near future. Uh, you'll start seeing stuff coming from me about essentially building you know, the LinkedIn local version of sustainable, the sustainability version of LinkedIn local, where, you know, enabling and equipping people who are passionate about sustainability, working within organizations who want to drive and, and, you know, change within their businesses, within their charities, within their NGOs, within their organizations. They want to bring sustainable change. We want to create a network and a community that will help and support them to do that. Um, And so we're going to take all of the learnings that, uh, myself and, and the rest of the core team had with LinkedIn Local and, and, and build something for sustainability. Uh, I'm really excited about that, but we've had six, no, the really good example of, of why change is coming is because people the, the, the conversation has changed. Right. One of the people in our group is a co-founder of a company called Climate, with a Climate, with a number eight on the end. Is it's an investment yeah, right. app for investing in environmentally friendly and sustainable um uh, companies and funds and, and things like that. Not not the full ESG, just the EBIT, just environmental focus niche on that area. Okay. Back in January, that, so the app isn't out yet. That's the first question. The app isn't out yet. Okay. But they were going to go for a crowdfunding round. And back in January, their, their dream was we want to try and raise a million pounds because that will see us through the year. Uh, we'll be able to launch our app in, in sort of uh, May, June time. And Will that'll see us through till the end of 2020? Then and then the crisis happened. The crisis hit, boom, and all of a sudden they go, "Oh God, 
I don't think anyone's going to invest at the moment. Everyone's you know, everyone's too worried and too fearful. No one's going to want to put money in. Uh, you know, we need to go for a crowdfunding round, but let's just we'll aim to get four hundred thousand pounds because that will see us through till autumn. So we're just going to aim for four hundred thousand. They launch it privately on Crowdcube initially to to a limited pool of investors, and they exceed four hundred thousand pounds before they even go public. They then in the in the following two weeks, they end up having to stop the crowdfunding because they've maxed out with the most equity they were willing to give away, raising 1.5 million. Slap bang in the middle of the crisis, slap right in the heart of it. This was in April, beginning of May, right in the heart of this thing. 1.5 million pounds for an app that doesn't even, you can't use it yet, it doesn't exist. It's what, it does exist, they're developing it. It's coming out in the next sort of five, six weeks, probably. Um, But it did, you know, the people investing in it couldn't see the app yet. They could see mock-ups of what it was going to look like. They could see right. the team behind it. They could see the vision. And that, you know, that if that doesn't say a huge amount about people's appetite for solutions, for genuine solutions for sustainability right now, I don't know what the, the money speaks. And money is moving into finding these solutions fast and hard. And I've been to so many events with the Institute of Directors recently where we were listening to the bankers uh, of you know big, big banks like Standard Chartered Bank and others. And their top, top risk people, you know, their, their director of, of, of risk uh, assessment or you know, things like that. I, mm. I, I left that meeting, that those, those events, feeling genuinely reassured, more reassured than I'd felt in, in a, lot of, a lot of different things. And the reason for that was because I could tell they were genuinely scared. <laughs> genuinely scared about what's coming they've run the numbers they're very good they've got a lot of smart people in these banks and they've run the numbers and they are they are anticipating at least four degrees of warming three centigrade of warming that's what they're anticipating so paris climate agreement the ideal is to keep it below 1.5 degrees and the upper limit is three that's what you know after three it really then then the then the uh the chaos really begins they're predicting four degrees they don't think we're going to move fast enough and they're predicting four degrees of warming, and they will not invest in a company. They will not give money to a company that has not got a plan for how it will be operating in a four-degree warmer world. And to put that into context, the last ice age, hmm. the last ice age was caused by four degrees of cooling from current temperatures. The last ice Could age, it, yeah, so from, from the normal temperatures, four yeah. degrees less than current temperatures is an ice age. That's the last ice age. Uh, what happens when we go four degrees the other way? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know what happens. Right. All we know is we're probably not going to like the answer to that question. And so they're genuinely, they're genuinely scared. And so they are funneling huge amounts of money into anything that they can find that they think is positioned for that world and positioned for finding meaningful solutions to that. And you know, even if you want to be a pure capitalist about this, and you, you know you don't want to buy into the higher purpose and the higher belief that this will genuinely be a better world and that you know best case scenario we save the species worst case scenario we've been wrong about all of 99.9% of scientists have been wrong about the whole thing and all we end up with is a better world right. that we prefer living in and it's cleaner it's healthier and it's better that's the worst case scenario if we invest we just we'll just live in a better world 
great, brilliant. But, you know, the, the risks associated with it are such that they are, they are oversubscribed. So all of the green bonds and the ESG uh, bonds and things that have been issued have been oversubscribed by two to three times in, in the past few years. Because as in, if, if there's 100 bonds, 300 banks are trying to buy them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's scrabbling for them. Oh, we, we want these. We want this. And so it's the change that's coming when the money starts speaking and the money starts moving. Everyone else looks at it. If you want to go purely capitalist about it, there has never been a greater opportunity because fundamentally businesses make money from solving problems. I solve the problem for you and you pay me for the value of that solution. You know, if I, you know, if I uh, provide mm-hmm. you with a taxi service, I am solving the problem for you of how you're going to get from A to B in this process time. I solve the problem. And the value of the more more complex and the more difficult a problem is to solve, the more I'm going to charge you for solving it. Mm -hmm. The more money I can charge you because you get even more value because I'm solving a really complicated and tricky problem for you. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. Name name a bigger problem than mass extinction. I don't think there's anything. (laughs) The extinction of the human race. There isn't one. There, you can't you yeah. can't find a big one. The people yeah. who are involved in finding meaningful yeah. solutions to the crisis that we face mm-hmm. are going to make a disgusting amount of money because it is the biggest problem our species yeah. ever faced, and everyone's going to need it. Everyone's going to want it. Every country in the world will need to buy these products. Will need to buy these services. Yeah. Will need to buy these solutions, particularly for things like carbon capture. Everyone's going to be buying up as much as they can. When, right. when things start going really wrong, as they already have, as we've seen with the fires in Australia and the Amazon, and all, when things start going really wrong, the investment that's going to plow into this right. field is going to be like something we've, we've never seen. It's going to be even more drastic than we saw during world wars where all of the money suddenly just moves into armaments and bombers and, and planes. Um, uh, yeah. so the, the opportunity here is massive. So if you want to be right. a pure capitalist about it, do it for the money. If you want to be, uh, you know, if you want to be more egalitarian and, um, you know, positive, you know, a positive, uh, you know, energy about it, then do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's 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 about, you know, it's it, we will live in a better world. We will live in a cleaner, healthier uh, and hopefully more just world if we do it the right way and hopefully more equal and, and just world. And um, that's the vision that I, I sort of buy into. And that's why. I've got more energy now than I've ever had. You know, you sort of talk about time management. I'm working so I'm working so much more than I've ever worked. Working, <laughs> I'm working more than I've ever worked before. <laughs> it's because I feel like I'm swimming with the right. current. I'm everything's just easy. Everything's just right. everything's flowing. Everything's going. Everything's easy because I'm in alignment with what mm. I I know in my gut that I want to be doing and what I want to be focusing on and. When that happens, when you stop fighting the current, when you stop working on things that you don't actually care about that much, it becomes it becomes easy, and and things pop, and you draw the right people to you, and the right opportunities come your way, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I made the decision to to quit my job before these opportunities came up. I made that decision because I had a very powerful experience awesome. at the end of my course where I brought together 
I brought together a community of, pe of people within the Monmouth course mates, and they, they gave me the, one of the best surprises of my life. Um, where, where, yeah, I won't mm -hmm. go into it's a long story, but yeah, they gave me this huge surprise, and I spent the whole of that evening listening to sustainability victories that people had experienced whilst they were doing the course. And with people thanking one another and people saying that this community helped me to achieve this change, helped me to raise 1.5 million pounds, helped me get a, a, my first sustainability job oh. right in the middle of the lockdown, helped me do all these things, which they shared. And I just spent that whole evening sitting there going, with this overwhelming feeling, this is what I need to be doing with my life. This is it. I want to do this every day, every day. And that clarity, that sudden, I mean, it's been building, I've, that's sustainability has been scratching at me for the last three years. And I've not listened to it like I should have done. It's been there yeah. just niggling me in the back of my head going, you really want to do this. You should explore this. And I, you know, I was making my way there. I was, but I was doing it in a very logical and like, no, I'm going to make gradual transition. I'm going to do this, that. I'm going to get, I'm going to do that course. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do that thing. And I, you know, I have no regrets, but you know, now that I'm, you know, I'm swimming downstream, God, it's easy. I made the decision to quit my job. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I'd made that conscious decision, everything just, everything went, everything just, and it was like, all I had to do was make that decision. All I had to do was for that to click in in the back of my head and me go, you know what? I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go for it. You know, this, you know, I, I was like, I'm, I might be crazy leaving a very, very secure job that I haven't been furloughed. It's a great job, yeah. secure, absolutely going nowhere. I might be mental, but I'm going to quit my job mid-lockdown. <laughs> and as soon as I've made that decision, everything's, everything started unraveling very quickly. And um, so, you know, take risks, trust in it. And, uh, and I think when you, when you properly commit to doing that and commit to, to, to doing it, a lot of things will flow. If you've, been, if you've been doing things the right way and you've been building relationships and you've been helping people and adding value in all of the relationships, been building up front without asking mm -hmm. for anything you know the you know with the planet mark yeah. who, who who i'm going to be going and joining uh mid-july and i'm incredibly excited about, i'm so excited about joining that I, they're an amazing company the whole team is like a family and i've been feeling like i've been getting welcomed into that family for the mm -hmm. past two years anyway because i go to all of their events i get invited to the ceo's birthday parties and i go okay. along i know them all already i'm so excited to be joining that team Right. But, you know, that's a relationship I've been building for two years and I've been meeting with Steve and I've been sharing my ideas on community and my advice for him on stuff that we did with LinkedIn Local and all of these things. I've just been sharing it. Just give, just give and give mm. and give, give, give. And I, I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't trying to get yeah. this role. I wasn't trying. I just I loved what he was doing. I loved the stuff he was working on. I was like, I want to support it. I want to, I want to help. Uh, and when you come at relationships right. with that kind of an approach where you, you're not, it's not transactional, you're not trying to get something from people, you, it will pay off. Right. It will, it might take, it might take one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. But if you do that consistently, it pays dividends. Right. It pays off in, in the long run. It pays off massively. If you take a transactional approach and you're shoving business, business cards into people's hands, as you know, with LinkedIn Local and the whole premise of LinkedIn Local was exactly this. If you take a meaningful approach, right. everything is so much better. And you know, it, it, and it, mm -hmm. in the long run, it will pay back 
not just financially, but it will pay back in your, you know, the emotional support that you get in the, in the support network and community of friends and, and people that sort of gather around you. Some of my best mates are people that I met through LinkedIn, like Alex Galvez, her and I are like, but we're besties now, we're besties. Mm. I met her on LinkedIn. I went to her, <laughs> one of her LinkedIn local events. And then over the you know following, you know, right. two, three years, We've collaborated. We've done stuff together. We've done all these different things, and now we're like best mates. And it all and and I'm able to trace all of that back. I'm able to trace the whole thing back to me reaching out to her with a personalised LinkedIn invitation. If I hadn't tailored that invitation and said what it was about what she was doing that I found compelling, if I hadn't gone that extra mile, it's not no, not even extra mile. It's an extra metre. If I'm gone, personalizing your invitations does not right. take much. Because I went, right. if I hadn't gone that extra meter, she might never have accepted my invitation. She might, we might never have met. Right. We might never have ended up doing the stuff we've done and had the impact that we've had. And and I would have been worse off for it. I think he would have been worse off for it. And mm-hmm. I, and you know, without sounding cocky, I think the world would have been worse off for it because we've done some really cool stuff that. Uh, you know, has, has impacted lots of yeah. people. And that's, it's awesome to have friendships like that where she constantly is making me raise my bar of how I'm operating. And hopefully mm. I do the same to her. And then you bring people around yourself who inspire you and who, when you phone them up and you say, I think I'm going to quit my job in the middle of a lockdown. Uh, and I don't really have a plan of where I'm going to get any money from. They go, you do it. Mm. You've got this. I believe in you. Not... <laughs> Oh no, that sounds like yeah. don't no no don't do that. Don't no try like you should you should try looking you know surround yourself with people who when make when you tell them, hey, I'm thinking of doing something quite risky, I'm really it's it's, it's I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about it, I really want to do it. But they go, That's great, I've got your back. You tell right. me how I'm gonna support you. If you need something, I'm there. You know, surround yourself with people like that mm-hmm. and you'll go far. You yeah. just you can't be stopped. <laughs> you can't be stopped because you just you have people who will support you through it, but if you're surrounded with people who will tell you no and tell you that sounds that sounds dangerous, uh, you know, people, yeah, you've got to have a balance. People telling you that is risky, but it sounds really exciting. It sounds like the thing that you want to do. That's fine, but yeah, people who just say, "No, don't do that. That's ridiculous. Don't. No, that's mental." They're the same people who, in five years' time, will be telling you, "Oh, I wish I could be doing what you were doing. Oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky to be doing what you're doing now." I'm not lucky. I've worked bloody hard for it. I've taken risks. I've, uh, I've taken risks. And you I've, took the risk. I've exactly. cont- you know, yeah. where, you know, where people might have been home. I mean, I watch a lot of TV series and films and stuff. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I go to so many networking right. events. Like I, I, I categorize everything in my diary. Everything in my diary gets categorized uh, and color coded. Um, okay. And so I'm able to tell you how many networking hours I did last year. I can tell you how many meetings, how many networking events that I went to. And it's something like, I think I did, it was about 170 networking events last year. 170. So, like, basically one every other day. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, and I I did a lot, and then I have social, and so I I had about 200 social sort of things that I did. Now, obviously, you're doing lots of things in the same day, so it's not, you know, it's not, it's not half my time networking. It's not half my time networking by any stretch. But, sure, sure, you know, sure, sure. You know, in terms of like 
30 minute catch ups with people and going to a networking event and meeting lots of people. You know, I invested, I invest really heavily in, in right. opportunities to build relationships. And that's a choice. And it's a choice that I would make every time, every time, you know, when you miss out on going to a party because you're at a really cool networking event. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I, and I genuinely see a lot of the stuff I do like networking to me is socializing a lot of the time because half, especially Institute of Directors, LinkedIn local and, and other things that I do, a lot of the people that I will see there are already good friends of mine. So it's catching up with mates and having a couple of drinks and then you're meeting some new people and those mm -hmm. new people are more aligned with what I'm trying to do because of the environment that we're meeting right. with you know, It's very hard to meet driven people in a pub very hard to do. You can do it, yeah. but you've got to be lucky. <laughs> right. Unless you, you have network, you've been out of the, the yeah. you, you find your tribe. You find your community <laughs> right. of people who who share your same sort of drive, your same passion, exactly. your same vision for for you know for in completely different spheres. Not not necessarily with the same goals, but um, I will you know uh -huh. I'll I'll give time to any person I meet who I see a spark in them and a real passion for. Right. something it doesn't even matter what it is it it could be a passion could be a passion for Legal. cultivating right. Right. different types of grass doesn't matter right if they're if that's their passion right. and that's the and they they exude energy when they talk about it oh I'll listen to it oh yeah tell me about all right. of these types of grass that you're planting whatever let's talk about it because you're enthusiastic about it right. and i i i feel that i'm not going to go and start researching different types of grass but if that's me like Tell me about it. Right. What, why? What got you into that? And just approach those relationships uh -huh. and those connections with curiosity. Ask more questions than you answer. Mm. Uh, I need to thank you for sharing all of that. Definitely helped us cover, you know, why relationship building and networking is so important. And it's a topic, I think for budding entrepreneurs and job seekers they tend to not focus on that and their their focus is more on on that i need to get into this segment i need to see the next step i need to get to a recruiter something that you know you've highlighted in in depth about you know from from your different experience all right so we did discuss uh you know you you brought up a lot of excellent points you know about how you pivoted from being again you know more opportunity driven to purpose driven something we all should look forward to i see the big players particularly changed that approach after the 2008 you know depression and and as you mentioned you know bankers etc changing their mindset to you know again focus they realize that the imminent problem is you know something much bigger it's the extension of mankind so focus more on that and you also mentioned working with these you know different companies in different capacities and how you're helping them in general realize the future that we're stepping into so thank you for sharing all of that and definitely like your enthusiasm is infectious so i wanted to also talk about like you again the, the mindset shift for a lot of people uh, is is a, is a major task you know it takes them a while like you mentioned quitting your job so it's also building a support system around that are there other aspects to relationship building and this switch in mindset that you would uh, you know recommend to a budding entrepreneur or someone starting a new that they should focus in on yeah um i i'd say you know it's very easy for me to sit here and be like oh yeah 3 weeks ago i had this huge you know this huge experience and and <laughs> My purpose-driven approach has, has now come to a fore, and it's really hard because right. you know I, I've heard loads of I've heard, you know, we've all heard it. We've right. all heard people say, "Find your purpose, 
find your thing that you want to work on, find the thing that you're really passionate about, the thing you really care about. And all exactly. of and I was just saying, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, mm. I was sitting there going, yeah, I need to find my purpose. I need to find my passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How the heck do you do it? Right. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and, it, and it's different for every person. That's the, that's the hardest bit. Some right. people are like, oh, I knew, oh, I always knew what I wanted to do. Other people, I had friends at school who they were like, they, they, you know, they wanted their whole life their whole life since they were like four, it's like, right. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. Right. And then they qualify. They go to university. They start <laughs> learning to be a teacher. And they go, no, nah, this isn't it. Yeah. This, is, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And, and, you know, it's, re it's really hard. It's really hard. And so I, I don't want to belittle that. You know, it's very easy for someone where I, I, I just feel it in my being that exactly. I, I'm, I'm on the right course. And, I think it, it is a gut thing. It's an instinctive, instinctual thing. Right. It's the thing that's been bugging you Good. in the back of your head. It's been bugging me in my head for three to five years at least. Right. Right. And, um, and in terms of my, my advice for people is, you know, I'm taking, I, I was willing to take the risk because I had this clarity. I knew, I just knew what I was to do. I've been taking risks pretty continually but not in as big a way as I was about to then, you know, mid lockdown. Now's when I'm going to quit my job. Great idea. Smart, smart move, smart move. Not really. No, but the, the, the thing that you can do, the only thing that you can do that you can guarantee yourself to do is to give yourself a much greater chance, a much greater probability of discovering your passion. Right. That's all you have control over. You can't, it's not a guaranteed path. It's not a, you do this, you do that, you do that, and you will discover your passion. You will discover your purpose. True. Not how it works. All you can do is you can increase the likelihood that you will. Right. And the way you can increase the likelihood of, of discovering your passion is along a number of avenues. Number one, try new things. Right. I've tried so many different job roles and so many different things. I've been very fortunate to be able to, the last sort of three, four years, mm -hmm. I've written every job description that I've ever done. Okay. I, you know, and, 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 but that's something that I cultivated okay. through the relationships I've built and stuff like that. So find ways of exploring different things, whether it be volunteering somewhere, whether it be doing a startup idea, whether it be you know, alongside a, you know, a career, a, a full-time job, whatever. Uh -huh. you know, just find ways of exploring. Okay. Meet lots of people right. and listen and hear about what makes, what makes them tick, what makes them passionate, because someone is going to be talking to you about the thing that they're doing Wow. And you're going to go, well, that sounds really good. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to do something like that. Exactly. I, and then go and try that. And then, and so it, it's all through people. And, you know, we, we, so put yourself out there. You know, you, you, it's, I, I think Wayne Gretzky quote, isn't it? You miss 100% of the shots you never take. That's what I have in the back there of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Beautiful. So you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. So you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to go to events. You've got to, You've got to, you know, put on events. Right. Uh, you've got to, you know, meet people who who resonate with you, who bring you ideas, who you give ideas to, so that you create a supportive environment for yourself. Right. I, I was literally, I was reflecting on this as I as I went upstairs in, in the break just there, right. because a lot a lot of people comment on, uh, especially at the moment, I've been getting a lot of people saying, "Where do you get your energy from? How? Do, <laughs> where's this enthusiasm? Where's this like? Yeah. Is it just, You've got so much energy, and it's and and it's infectious, and and we can feel it. Right. And and 
you know, where's this fire come from? And like, and it is, okay, well, how do you build a fire? Mm-hmm. What do you need to build a fire? To build a fire. What do you, yeah. you need, you need, you need the, the spark, first of all. You need the wood and you need the spark. Actually, right, so you need wood, so you need fuel. You need fuel. Okay, so you need to fuel, sure, fuel sure. the fire, right? Yeah. Uh, you also need oxygen. You need you need air. You, you need, need to you need, breathe. If, if, if the fuel is inside of a vacuum, you right. ain't getting no fire. Right. So you need you need fuel, you need oxygen, right. and you need a spark, right? Yeah. There's yeah. three core things. Okay, so where's my energy come from? Okay, first thing is the air, because without air, you're getting nowhere. Right. And the air, let's think of that as your environment. It's the uh-huh. environment you place yourself in. Right. And the environment I've placed myself in is that I'm surrounded by people who inspire me on a daily basis. Right. Um, you know, with the research center that I'm working at, at the moment, I'm surrounded by fiercely intelligent people who know a lot more than I do about a lot of things. <laughs> and I stop learning from them on a daily basis. I'm surrounded with people like Alex, people like you who are passionate about building community, who mm-hmm. are passionate, who constantly are introducing me to other interesting people saying, I met this person, you need to talk to them. Right. You got, oh, okay. And that's that's how Alex and I got introduced. We, we were at the, at the LinkedIn local event that she put on. Okay. And as she was going around and talking to people, every uh-huh. person she spoke to kept on saying, oh, you really need to go and talk to that Andrew guy. And so when wow. she came over, she was like, uh, I'm coming over to talk to you, Andrew, because everyone here has been telling me that I need to meet you. <laughs> and I'm like, right, why is that? I don't know. What, why? Well, yeah. I don't know. They've just said you need to go and talk to Andrew. And I'm like, okay, cool. And that's how our friendship started. Wow. And so you, you surround yourself, put, put yourself in a in a highly oxygenated environment that is stimulating, that brings you lots of ideas. Le- you're constantly learning, meeting new people, and, and doing interesting things. So there's your oxygen, your environment mm-hmm. around you, the people you surround yourself with. Then there's the fuel. Right. Fuel is is um, the fuel is how you look after yourself. Okay. And your own mental health, your own physical health. You know, if you put crap in, you're going to get crap out. <laughs> um, and, you know, I eat well. I mostly sleep well. I haven't been recently, but, but that's because I've got so much energy. I think I genuinely need less sleep at the moment. Right. Um, okay. the, the fire is burning and I, I did, it won't be put out. <laughs> okay. um, and, you know, the, it's, it's looking after your mental health. I, I meditate. Um, and that's something that's been really powerful. My, my realization of needing to shift from being um, uh, opportunity driven into being purpose driven was right. caused by doing a 10 day silent retreat. So okay. uh, the passion retreat last August. Okay. That sort of kicked a lot of things into motion for me. Um, mm-hmm. nice. but, you know, I meditate, I exercise, I, I look after my body and I make sure I make time for socializing. I enjoy music. I enjoy sport i enjoy lots of different things and and so i don't limit myself to to just working hard all the all the time mm-hmm. and um and, and that's 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 how you create fuel that's how you you make sure that you've you've got energy to you, you've got you're drawing upon energy and by exercising and eating well right ironic thing is that exercise even though you burn energy in the process of exercising right. you actually end up with more energy at the end of it oh yeah yeah you finish the run and you feel pumped and you're ready <laughs> And you, and if you do it consistently, you suddenly right. find I'm sleeping better. I don't need right. as much sleep. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I've got more energy. I'm more alive. I feel more connected with the world around me. So that there's your fuel. So you've got your your environment. You've got your fuel. You look after yourself, your body, so that you are in the best possible position to actually do stuff. And right. then you need the spark to get the fire going. And a fire needs to be nurtured in its early phases. 
Uh-huh. But the spark, the spark is is when you choose to put yourself out there. It's the risk. Okay. It's, it's the willingness to fail. It's right. the willingness to put yourself out there and to be rejected, where right. you try and make a connection and they they're not interested in talking to you. Mm-hmm. Where you you go for a job and you don't get it. Where you try and create a startup and, and you push yourself out. You put yourself you push your head above the parapet and you're no longer protected. You're no longer sheltered, nice and cozy inside your house. Uh-huh taking a risk and that's that's the spark and then when the spark even if the spark you know catches fire and you get some embers and, and it you know you've, you've got something it needs something to be nurtured doing. you need to yeah. be giving it more oxygen you need more oxygen you need more things from people around you you need to you need more fuel and you build up the fuel from little bits of fuel and you make right. the fuel bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and and then eventually you've got your roaring fire and that's the that's where i feel i'm at now i have a burning fire and um it's very hard for anyone to put it out now. In the early phases, it was very easy yeah. for people to knock me. It was very easy for people to put me down or to make me feel like I was doing the wrong thing or I was spending too much time on things that weren't going to pay off. And, you know, why do you do it? I can't, you know, I, I couldn't do that. But, but, you know, people putting you down, it's very easy for people to put out your fire. Exactly. Yeah. Cultivating it. Now, God help them, they can, they can throw as much water as they like. Right. They, could, they could come at me with fire hoses and <laughs> I would get out of my way. I'm a, right. This is forest fire type levels now. You, can, you, you cannot stop this, merely manage it. You, you, right. can, you can manage me, you can't stop me. <laughs> that's... And, um, so that's what people need to do is they need to, you know, I, I do think the first thing is, is creating yourself the space and the environment and having the right people around you is, is critical because it doesn't matter how much fuel you've got. If you don't have oxygen, you ain't getting nowhere. Doesn't matter how much preparation you do for yourself. If you're surrounded in a in a toxic environment that is, you know, doesn't is not breathing life into you, right. you know, you're gonna you're 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 swimming against the tide. Right. Um, and and then you and then you the spark is indispensable. You can be surrounded by the right people. You can build up your stockpile of thing. You can be exercising, right. meditating, you're learning, you're doing all of these things. You don't take a risk. Nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. You don't light the fire. Nothing will happen. Um, so sometimes, sometimes fires start by accident. So some people happen <laughs> very differently. You, know, you strike right. a lightning, and all of a sudden, boom! Everything happens for them because right. sometimes fires start by accident. But right. most of the time, they don't, and you can't control that. And so, if you want to have the greatest possible chance of starting your own fire. You these three elements. You can, yeah, you need to do whatever you can to build up the likelihood and the probability that you will start that fire and that fire will grow and that fire will build to the point where people cannot stop you. Mm-hmm. They either they either run with you or they get out of the way. <laughs> no, no, it, it is it is a very uh, apt point that you brought up over here. So def- I think a lot of people tend to miss out on one of these. I think it's like the oxygen part is just okay. Well, you know, I'll worry about that later. Let me build everything. So yeah, I think I think important. You know that you mentioned these three. So yeah, even for me, I'm realizing that yeah, there are three segments to this. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. Massively, so, we all know how people are so important. It's so important. Like. Right. We- no, we get told it from the day we're born. It's not, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Right. And more than that, it's and, and that's sort of said in in a, like a, a transactional way, whereby the, the network enables you to get into places. But it's even mm-hmm. more than that. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Is about 
what they're feeding into you as much as it's what what you're feeding to them and what they're feeding to you as much as anything else. Yeah. Uh, and the it's very easy to dream big if you're surrounded okay. by other people who are also dreaming big. It's very okay. easy to dream small mm -hmm. if you're surrounded by other people who are dreaming small. Not dreaming small. Um, so and and you you know I'd I quite like and I buy into the idea that you are the average of the five people that you uh -huh. spend your most most of your time with. You uh -huh. you're the average of them. You take those five people. You take all of their traits, all of their levels of risk that they're willing to take, the levels of um, you know, their levels of drive, their levels of ambition. You find the average mm -hmm. of those five people. That's you. Right. <laughs> no, I I agree with that. I recently stumbled upon that again and realized that how effective that is. Like when I compared just myself, you know, now versus how I was three years back. And I see the massive change over there. And definitely, you know, plan is to go bigger, you know, just after. So thank you. You know, uh, again, points that you're saying is resonating completely with me. I'm sure they're resonating with, you know, budding entrepreneurs listening. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you're it. Very welcome. You're very, I'm glad. I, I, I only thought of the fire, the, the fire metaphor, literally, literally as I was going up the stairs. I went. Uh, that's a good metaphor. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use that again. Well, thanks, Rob. <laughs> that's a good one. That's on, on again. Someone, I mean, someone will have already used that. Use that metaphor. It's too good a metaphor for someone else not to have done it. But hey, um, you know, right. we'll say it's ours. This, this, this it was our. We, we, did, sure, sure. we did it first, bro. <laughs> we did it. Well, as long as you believe that and you know, go with it. Yeah, uh, it's like I was watching. Really... I was watching a thing earlier. It's one of my favorite quotes and favorite quote right. of many people, which is uh, um, amateurs copy. Uh, what is it? It's like amateurs copy artists. Oh, yeah. Uh, artists get inspired or something. Well, it's, it's basically the, the point is that just like amateurs will, will copy something, but right. but the people who are seen as you know geniuses will just steal it. <laughs> They'll just do it. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what they say. They steal it or they get inspired by it. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 sure. there's, yeah, but it's, it's one of these, yeah, anyway. Uh, well, I was watching so, Masterclass earlier. It was on advertising. I've signed up to Masterclass. That's how I'm, I'm doing. That's how my lockdown, learn, my lockdown learning, I've been doing a number of things. Um, I, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What's your day like Yeah, in, in oh. lockdown? Because, again, you, you're on multiple boats. So I'd really like to understand how you go about your day. So just if you could, just a random example. A random example. I, I, I'll, I'll share, the, I'll share the, the best practice habits that I got into. I sure, don't always sure. manage to maintain them. Uh, because okay. I'm a night owl, um, and, okay. and I often do my a lot of my best work at night because it's quiet and I can get on with it. I, I'm not a morning person, but I recognise the value of getting up at a decent hour and sure. teeing off the day in the right way. So the pattern I got into uh, that I I aim to maintain as much as possible is getting up at a decent hour, give a couple of hours before I'm going to need to start work. My phone is on airplane mode overnight, and my phone does not come off of airplane mode until I sit down to begin my working day. Because nice. if you if you turn if the first thing that you do is you look at your phone and you start mm -hmm. receiving messages, then you put yourself into receiver mode. You're just you're just taking in information, and you're mm -hmm. you're receiving and you're reacting. You're just being reactionary. And if you want to be mm -hmm. proactive, you've got to start your day proactively <laughs> before you start yeah. getting barraged by the emails and the messages and all of the things like that. So. Phone, phone stays on airplane mode until I sit down and start to start working day. And then I uh, start off by meditating uh, for right. at least 20 minutes. Um, 
then I'll do some form of exercise, whether it be working out in the living room here or going for a run. Um, during the summer, it's been this beautiful time to go for a run um, and, yeah. and do a decent amount of exercise, come home, have then have breakfast, um, sit down for the working day, phone goes on, and I'm in. And I'm, I'm able right. to focus quite strongly. I'm able to juggle and go right through. And then... I, I have a I do have a, a I'm not even gonna call it a bad habit. I have a habit of working late on stuff and, right. and doing things at all hours of day and night and uh, and things. But it's because I'm passionate about what okay. I'm working on and I, I don't I don't mind, especially during lockdown, it's okay. But it is important to carve out time that's that's chill time as well. So I have I have times each week which are very precious to me where you know mm-hmm. I play poker with friends online or I have mm-hmm. catch ups and I chat with people Actually, I've gone got on socially distance, a lot of socially distance walks with friends who live nearby. And that's been an absolute okay. lifeline during this time to, to be able to have right. some just proper face to face interaction because Zoom, exactly. Zoom fatigue is definitely a thing. Knackering if you're doing it all day. Uh, right. And yeah, so it's, it's and, and then trying to eat well and consistently and, and eat healthily. I've been doing very well recently. I'm a sugar addict. Sugar is probably my greatest weakness. Um, uh-huh. Shortly, well, no, no, no. Stories are my greatest weakness. <laughs> nice. Um, I say stories because I, I, I get addicted to um, books, TV series, oh, okay. films, nice. games, gaming. I, I had okay. to stop myself from gaming. I, I gave up oh. gaming because I, it, it, it is. I find it too gripping. I would, I, I can well, quite literally, I can sit down, I can 48 hours straight. I just play a game 48 hours. Just go, no, I, 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 I had to do the same thing, you know, stop with gaming. I, I understand it's very addictive. Yeah. But it's the stories. It's the oh. stories because you're so immersed in it. And then with, it's the oh. same thing with TV series where I can fly. I, you know, I, 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 when I first watched, I mean, I think I've watched Breaking Bad all the way through like three times now. Um, oh, but, yeah. the, you know, the first time I watched it all the way through, I watched it all the way through in three weeks. Okay. Just, wow. yeah. what, was it one episode a, a day or two? No, no. It was like God knows how many episodes a day. <laughs> how many hours are there in a day? Divide that by the number of episodes there. And we're probably, so oh, wow. I was, I was just hooked on it because I love this. I want to know what's happening next. I want to know what's happening next. And it's the same with books. Oh. You know, I can fly through a series of books in a really short space of time if I get hooked in on a fi- fiction, fiction book. And just right. Yeah. Anyway, cu- curious on that. Is there something you're reading recently? The, your current book. Current book I'm reading is called The Ethical Capitalist. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, who's it written by? Uh, test me out. Rich Sounds is who it's by. He, he's um, okay. ri- yeah, Richer Sounds. Uh, something like that. Okay. Uh, Richer Sounds is the name of his company. I, I think it might be John Richer or something like that. But he he's okay. a founder okay. of a. He's you know he's talking about his journey and he's talking about basically that ethical business ethical businesses do better and there's a lot of evidence proving that now ethical sustainable uh, and all of those things and that um and so it's a really interesting book it's really good um i'm enjoying it okay um this i this i, I mean I've, i don't i would have so many go and look at my goodreads and i've got loads of book recommendations <laughs> loads of books that, that's what i was going to do next just see you know fiction wise because i love fiction and you know something everything else to do with entrepreneurship so yeah i'll check that out. well but something something okay so some fiction but Right. with business relevance and i love this eventually one day I, i'm going to write a book like this i don't know what it's going to be yet okay. but i'm going to 
because okay. I love the I love the whole uh-huh. concept of how it's done, and it's um, uh, it's a book. He's, he's done a few of them actually, and so the, the first one I read was "Our Iceberg Is Melting." Okay. And the second one, there's well, there's a few of them, but my two favourites are "Our Iceberg Is Melting" and "That's Not the Way We Do Things Here." And oh, they are okay. business fables. What that means right. is the way he tells is he, basically it's a professor who's who's sharing his he's a he has his theories of change management. And, and effective okay. how to instill effective change within organizations and but the way he he shares these practices so the first uh-huh. half of the book is a business fable it is animals so it is so our iceberg is melting is about a colony of penguins whose iceberg mm-hmm. is melting and it's about the young penguins realizing our uh-huh. iceberg is melting there's lots of things giving us evidence that our iceberg is melting from underneath us and the old penguins are saying don't be stupid this, this iceberg has always been here it's always going to be here. Shut up. You're young, you don't know. You don't know. And it's about how these young penguins take this colony of penguins on this tra- you know, transformational change where they fundamentally change uh-huh. the way in which their colony behaves. And then the, uh-huh. and then, so the first half of the book is that. And then the second half of the book is the theory. It's the explanation of why all of the practices that the penguins do apply within organizations mm-hmm. and lots of examples of how they are applied within organizations. So you can just read the fable if you want, and you just get the lessons out of that, and it's much more easy to remember because, you know, it's much easier to remember because it's very tangible. It's a story. It's a story you're learning about. And you go, oh, yeah, I remember when the penguins did that. That's what we need to do. We need to do what the penguins did. And then the other one, that's not the way we do things here, is um, about uh, two colonies of meerkats. Um, And one of them is a very, very big colony of meerkats, has, you know, 100, 200 uh-huh. meerkats in it. And the other one is a very small uh-huh. colony of meerkats, so less than 10 meerkats. You've got, your, you've, got your, uh-huh. you've got your corporation and you've got your startup. And the corporation uh-huh. is, uh, is really, really good at systems and processes. It's got its hierarchies in place. Everyone knows their role. Someone's a sentry. Someone's uh-huh. gathering the food. Someone's the leader in the alpha. Yeah, everyone's got their place. But then uh-huh. a, a, a drought hits. A drought comes, changing the uh-huh. environment around them. A drought hits. And that drought has a couple of consequences. Number one, less food. Uh, they've got less food coming in. But number two, uh-huh. more predators, because the drought is causing the predators to, to go further than they usually go. There's more and more predators, uh-huh. less and less food. And so all of a sudden, all of their normal systems and processes that were for reacting to the threat of predators and were for gathering the food stop working as well. Right. And... and and they're trying to figure out what to, how to do things differently, but the changes that they're making are really small. They're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just put two people on sentry then. Or we'll just, you right. know, we just need to gather more food. But we're gathering more food, uh-huh. but there's less growing. And there's, uh, what, what are we doing? Uh-huh. And so they, they, they struggle. They struggle with change. Whereas the, the startup, the colony of like you know, eight uh-huh. meerkats, uh-huh. Uh-huh. they operate as a circle and they're, very, they're able to very quickly adapt and make new decisions they start making lots of decisions they adapt to the new environment they come up with all of these new ways of doing things and they make all of their decisions as a group and so all of a sudden that little collie of meerkats that's doing really 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 well at gathering food doing all of these really innovative creative things where they're they're farming and they're they're cultivating the the larvae and stuff and the insects by gathering up all of the excrement and using it to farm the insects and things that they want to eat and doing these really innovative things Mm -hmm. 
But that means that they're very successful. And because they're successful, they start to grow. More meerkats are coming and joining this this colony, this small colony of meerkats. And the colony of meerkats get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, they've got 20, then 30, and then 40 meerkats. And all of a sudden, when they get into their meetings and they've got 40 people in a circle trying to make a decision, it stops working. They can't. All of a sudden, right. they're arguing with one another. They can't make decisions. They can't. You know, we're, we're now, we, we, you know, things aren't happening. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, the things that need to happen every day are just falling aside because they're trying this new thing. And so the basic, basic, basic stuff that should just, you know, needs to be done, and we all know it needs to be done, isn't getting done because they're, everyone is arguing and trying to innovate and trying to come up with new ideas. And so the point that John Cotter, the books are by John Cotter, um, points that, they sort of make within that is that you know yes startups can make decisions really quickly and they can pivot really quickly but if they're successful they're going to grow and when they grow the ways in which they make decisions yeah, the need to change but equally massive mm-hmm. organizations can't if, if they're not adapting to sudden changes in their environment which look around us um, if they're not <laughs> adapting then then they crumble and they crumble from within and, and it and it descends into chaos very quickly for them and so what john uh, uh, advocates for is a hybrid approach whereby you need to have structures and processes they're very important at maintaining the day-to-day and, and and having that structure but equally you've got to create opportunities for people to break out of that structure so he sort of has this model whereby you have your organizational structure but then you create these circles you create these these groups of people who come together the only rule is that the people who are normally the management and the senior leadership are not allowed to be the ones leading those circles. The person leading that circle should be someone, it could be anyone, anyone in the company, everyone in that circle is equal. You have like maximum of 10 people in the circle and you, and you do it around specific initiatives and projects. And the structure of the organization gives that group of people permission to say, we want you to go away. Like, okay, let's say they're doing it on how we manage waste. We want you to go away, this circle of people, you're going to make decisions about how we can manage our waste moving forward. And we're behind you. We're going to back you. We're going to give you the resources you need to do it. You come to us, you tell us what you want to do. We're going to go with it. So you enable them, you give them the power to do it. And then they go into their startup-like you know, innovation circle where they very rapidly make decisions. They've mm-hmm. got inputs from lots of different spheres. The people who are involved in it are passionate about the topic. They care about the outcome of what they're working on. They, they're still doing their normal day-to-day jobs. And in their day-to-day jobs, their boss is still their boss. But when they get into this room, right. in this circle, talking about the waste management, everyone is equal. equal. And yeah. if anything, putting one of the most junior people in charge of those circles and saying, you're chairing this, is a really good idea because it, it disrupts the normal like hierarchy of whose ideas are better and whose ideas we want to listen to uh-huh. more. And, and you make it so that it, and, and you enable those people to innovate and to do things. And then when they come up with a really, really good idea and they share it with the wider organization, the wider organization then needs to come up with mechanisms for embracing and bringing these new ideas into and embedding them inside of the structure. So they come up with a new waste management system. Great. Right. Roll out. Now, this is our new normal. This is our new structure. This is our new processes that we're putting in place. Thank you, Circle. You have come up with the solution that we couldn't have come up with ourselves because we'd have tried to iterate, not innovate. We'd have tried just to go, well, could we try just using a different waste provider? Uh, 
yeah, but that's not really that radical, is it? That's just changing contracts around. You know, what does it matter who's doing it? We need mm. to come up with a new way of doing it. How do we do that? And you, you get the teams working on it. And so that's sort of the hybrid. Of, and so I, I, I love those books. They are absolutely fantastic. And one day I will write a business fable. I don't know about what. I don't have a clue what it's going to be about. And I'm a little bit, but I'm going to write a business fable. Okay. No, that that clearly is my next favorite genre of you know books I want to read. So thank you. Uh, I definitely will check. I mean, Matt, I, I should have said spoiler alert okay. because I've you know I have ruined a lot of the story for you there, but I think you'll enjoy it nonetheless. No, you haven't. It, it, you did give me a yeah like a Cliff Notes version. If it's it still prompts me to read. The you still books, need to so learn the, the steps that. of effective change. You still need to learn the steps. And I have exactly. some of the situations exactly. they get into. So hopefully you still enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I will. I will. Okay. So I don't want to take up more of your time. Again, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Just one last question. What's your favorite place to live? Thank you. I love London. I love London. I've lived in a number of different places. I've lived in New Zealand. I've lived in, uh, I've lived on the east coast of Canada, in Nova Scotia. I've lived in London. Right. I've lived in Hertfordshire. Uh, but okay. Vancouver's a magical place, man. Vancouver is a magical place and uh, sooner or later I'm going to end up back there uh, I, I I trust that trust me you know and again I've, I've lived I've been a rolling stone for most of my life so you know eventually when I came to van I was like I don't think I want to get thing. out of I, I had the same sort of experience and it's just a, it's a magical place where you know you, you've got everything you've got the, you've got the outdoors you've got the metropolitan city atmosphere and energy you've got right. the entrepreneurial side you've got the tech side you've got the beaches you've got the mountains you've got the skiing you've just just i mean it's a magical place it's a magical place but you know i'm very hopeful that you know i i have ideas in my head and um i'm right. i i have i am i don't want to jinx it but i'm you know we i think we yeah we have aspirations to take the planet mark global uh, and and take right. take it to be international. And if that if that happens, then who knows? Three, four, five years down the line, we could be. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'll probably visit between now and then anyway. But um, but uh, sure, sure. We may be organising a LinkedIn local event together in five years' time. Let's find out. Let's see what happens. Okay, looking forward to that. But before then, again, we we have a lot to accomplish. So all the very best, you know, in in your successes and your continuous endeavours. Uh, I appreciate the time you took out today, you know, to come for this uh, podcast. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add? No, it's been great. Great chatting, Rahul. Thanks. It's been fun. <laughs> it's been fun. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew.